0: This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. Mm -hmm. I am Ben Korsha.
1: And I'm Dr. Daphne Yassau-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians.
0: Okay, welcome to the podcast, um, Daphna. How are you today?
1: Um, I'm doing really well. I've had a few days off, unlike you. So <laughs> I'm that's right. We've been you've been missing an in action. That's right. Uh, but I'm very excited for our guest today.
0: I know I am too. Uh, today we have the honor and the privilege of having with us Juliet Lee. Um, she is a pediatric nurse based in the United Kingdom. Uh, we met Julie through again through the joys and the, and the greatness of Twitter. Um, you are a pediatric nurse and you are also a former preterm baby. You have been very involved in the preterm adult preterm, uh, community. You've helped found the, uh, website and blog adultpremies.com. And, uh, and like we just said, you're an active member of the Twitter sphere and you can be found at, at Julietprem28. We will leave all the information about your website and your Twitter handle in the show notes. Uh, Juliet, thank you for being with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting and hopefully the recording will go well.
0: <laughs> it will be great. And uh, we're very excited to have you with us. Um, if this is not. Um, every day that we get the opportunity to speak to somebody who has your your life journey and we're very excited to get your perspective on on life and on growing up as a former preterm baby.
2: I'm excited to share.
0: Uh (laughs) All right, Daphna, I'm going to, since I'm post-call, you get uh, get to start (laughs) off this interview.
1: (laughs) Well, I was hoping um, that you'd start out uh, telling us really about um, the adult Premi network um, and what kind of what the goals are, um, of which it seems like you guys have a few. um, And it's nice to see that you're really bringing people together, not just in the UK, but internationally, um, which I think is really neat. Um, So tell us a little bit about it.
2: I will start with a little bit of an origin story that I was fortunate enough to be involved in some research based in London, in England where I had the pleasure to meet face-to-face some other adults who were born preterm, And this was the first time I'd really recognised that, oh, these are, these are people who are in work and going about and interested in research and connected with their prematurity and um, became good friends with them through social media because we lived in different parts of the country. And in January this year, with one of those friends, and a few other friends uh, from the Adult Premie Facebook group. We have set about creating socials and a website for the Adult Premie Advocacy Network. And we have a logo (laughs) that took a long time to decide and to pick. And we are wanting to advocate for individuals like us who are born prematurely. We want to connect with people around the world. As you said, we are um, based in the UK but also have involvement from the United States we have views on our website all the way from China and Germany as well we want to promote the issues that are affecting us as adults that we feel may be linked to our prematurity and we want to learn more about we want to also provide a space for parents to come and learn about how many things we're achieving and what the future may look like for their child who's maybe currently in NICU, or just got home and is you know starting to learn and starting to walk and they want to see a little bit of a a look into the future and we also want to connect with researchers and neonatologists doctors pediatricians bring them into our world again to show them how much we achieved but also ask them big questions ask them more about our health ask them to help us research and to promote our own well-being and for all those generations that are coming out of NICU and are coming after us.
1: I, I love that. I I'm, I actually have chills, honestly, hearing you talk about it because that's the goal, right? Um, a long, long, healthy life, right? Not just getting through the end of the NICU admission. And I think most of our listeners are... Um, intensivists, we have some pediatricians, we have, you know, lots of people who work in the NICU. um, But so much of the life is is really most, the majority of the life is after you all leave. Um, I like how you said connected to their prematurity. And I wonder um, maybe if you can tell us a little bit, like, how does... Your history of prematurity, like how does that shape your identity um, so much so that you you know you're reaching out to find other other people who are also preterm?
2: For me, I was I've always felt very connected to it. Um, I was born at 28 weeks and four days um, alongside my twin sister Beatrice. We suffered with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome and were born by emergency section um, due to our deterioration, and we both spent prolonged time in the neonatal intensive care unit in London which had a high level intensive care. Um, My twin suffered um, quite a lot during that time, was very unwell and sadly passed away when we were 12 years old. But during that time Mm -hmm. there were obviously copious, copious amounts of notes written about us and I was always aware of being, of having been premature when I was growing up. I've been very interested in medically things since day one and that partly brought me into my nursing career and I work as a children's nurse at Addenbrooke's hospital in Cambridge and I've recently accessed all of my medical notes and understand quite a lot of the medical lingo and this helped spur this Mm -hmm. on this interest in oh well actually okay so on day three I needed this and had this medicine and this was you know and an impact of being born prematurely and I needed this breathing support at day three because of X, Y and Z and that help has helped just keep igniting this passion for oh this was a huge thing for me to go through as an infant and I still want to learn more about it now and I still feel there are some impacts in my life things that may affect my health but also it's a really interesting thing and it's a talking point point. Mm-hmm.
0: That's true. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask you specifically, you said you've always been aware of your prematurity and I'm wondering what that means practically. Was that was that, that your parents told you at an early age that you were born preterm? Was this through what you saw in your twin sister? Um, how exactly did that happen? My parents
2: were very good at answering questions and having my twin grow up in a very medical environment because of her health needs there was probably initially awareness that my parents probably shared with teams that my twin was premature and obviously that for that therefore that means I was premature and mm-hmm. that I I liked asking questions but initially it was you know a number of weeks over 40s so it was 28 plus 4 over 40 weeks gestation it was a fact for me growing up it was something i learned um and I would, the focus was my twin's health um, and her deterioration. And as I've gone through my nursing career, I've learned more about, oh, hang on, that's actually really significant. And the health that, mm-hmm. the experience of being born so prematurely was very significant, particularly when I was a student on the neonatal unit at Edinburgh's Hospital. I would care for patients who were born at the same gestation as me, and feel in awe of myself, in a way. And that then further developed a a bigger interest in an understanding that I had gone through that too, as well.
0: Especially because there's been a sharp increase in the uh, survival rates and and decreased complication rates for, for babies born at 28 weeks. And I think the fact that these are still babies who are still medically uh, challenging for us because of how small they are. You can only imagine what it meant for you being born 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, when some of the technology that we currently have was not available. So, so that makes it, I think, even more dramatic, I think.
2: To see the photographs that my parents took and to have that alongside the medical notes I've been able to access and then having this um, knowledge that I have through my training it increases, mm-hmm. like I said, that that awe, and that I've looked after little babies when I was in the neonatal unit as a student, that maybe were, you know, born at a later gestation but didn't do as well, and babies born at an earlier gestation that did better than my twin, and the the vast array of how how well a baby will do, and there's no set rules. There's no set rule that at 28 weeks this is what mm-hmm. you can and this is what you can't achieve. And that's, I think, spurring us on as adults who are born prematurely that we want to find what we can achieve. And if we want to achieve it, we we will. And this is a big passion that's kind of drawn us all together and a determination.
1: I think you're exactly right. I think that's what sometimes makes our job so hard is we don't know always. We're still learning, you know, which babies will do well and which babies won't. And we don't know at the beginning of the admission. Sometimes we don't know in the middle of the admission. Sometimes we don't know even near the end of an admission which babies will do well and which babies won't. Um, but I'm just thrilled that you found this community of, 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 of people who um, really show us how resilient uh, the premature baby is. I also wonder how... Um, kind of your experiences and hearing about your parents' experiences and your lived experience as a sibling um impact your your care since you're, you know, a healthcare provider. Impacts everything hugely. There was
2: when I came into nursing as a, a first day of a first year student nurse, say so straight from school into university, I was faced with the challenge of I will look after patients who have been in similar situations to me, similar situations to my loss as well. And I didn't know how I would face yeah. that. Would, would I manage? Would this be the end up being the right career path for me? But I was determined. So therefore, I did it. <laughs> I feel <laughs> my experiences, I'm able to draw on them and draw out a lot of empathy and sympathy. And I think mm-hmm. that's helped me to show to my patients that I truly care in that situation. My colleagues that I work with on the ward um, and with me in my other role as a clinical nurse specialist, they care deeply and they are intelligent and they are resourceful and resilient. I have this added on top, this you know, cherry on top of the cake. Mm-hmm. That means some situations for me can be much more emotional, but I can say very honestly to the parents and the children I care for, I, I've been there and I'm, you know, I'm sorry, or I've been there and how about we just, yeah, make a joke about wheelchair services because they are a bit slow, aren't they? And I can just <laughs> try to create that kind of that communication pathway that some colleagues uh, may not have the experiences to create.
0: I guess the, the follow-up question to that is, I'm not exactly sure how nursing and and training in the UK functions, but were you did you ever have the choice to uh, work in the neonatal intensive care? Did you make a conscious choice to avoid it? And uh, are you considering potentially returning to the NICU as a provider?
2: So I had the opportunity, I had a 12-week placement as a student during the second year of my three-year degree. And it was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. There were three of us lined up. At the door of the NICU on the first day, we stepped in and you hear the sounds, you smell the smells, you see the sights, you hear the noises, you hear the beeps. And the person who introduced us to the ward was a person who said goodbye to me on the last day. And she shared with me that on that first day, there were three of us. So there were two young ladies standing next to me and they went, oh, their face was a bit taken aback. And my face lit up and she could tell I was comfortable and really happy to be there. That environment wasn't a fearful one for me. Those beeps, those buzzes, those tiny babies is nothing I've not seen before. So I learned an awful lot. Um, and I did choose not to apply for a job there when I finished my degree. I it was something I thought very hard about. Within children's nursing, there are specialties you can go into. And part of that is neonatal care. And you go in and you do further training and you develop further and it's a niche that you go into and you you stay in once you're in you're stuck in a very in a good way and I okay. chose instead for now I'm developing my skills as a, a general pediatric surgical nurse primarily and also working with a rheumatology team but NICU is always on my mind. Don't worry, I have many mm. years ahead in my career. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's 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 good to know now i have one more follow up question which is that uh, babies who survive the nicu and who are unfortunately frequent flyers quote unquote of the healthcare system because of of difficult complications give the neonatology unit a bad reputation within the hospital right i mean when when you work mm-hmm. in the pediatric icu in the emergency department when former preemies with sometimes some of the most complex ones come back you can see staffing saying, oh my God, what, what, is the, what has the NICU given us? Um, how have you been confronted with that in your, in your work? And how has your presence uh, maybe changed the perspective of your colleagues?
2: So I've experienced kind of a sidestep of that. So secondhand, I'm aware of patients who maybe I even knew briefly when I was a student on NICU who have needed maybe pediatric intensive care or they've needed, um, you know, TRIPS to A&E when I was there as a student and they do look very complicated and you start going oh birth history expecting mum to go oh yeah born at 41 weeks water birth lovely and mummy pulls out you know 15 sheets and I go I would go oh thank you so much this is so detailed fabulous but some colleagues might go oh I've got to read now okie dokie and maybe not having an awareness and a, a bit taken aback maybe i've seen though in my my role as a qualified nurse i've looked after children who are ex-prems who come for surgery uh, we see quite a few requiring hernia surgeries so that's yeah. we do see quite a lot and um, those who've had airway difficulties or maybe a tracheostomy requiring uh, looks down the airway um balloon dilatations and things all those who have suffered brain injury or hydrocephalus requiring um mm-hmm. care of neurology care, potentially chance tax, those sorts of things. And I can walk into a bay and look at them and go, Oh, you are a prem. They have that look still, even at a year even, you can walk in and go, "Oh." And then I, you know, take fancy because I go, Oh, I can I can share something with this family. If I feel it's appropriate, I can go in and go, well, I'm looking after you today. And you know, they start talking and I say, Oh have you had time in hospital before? And they share that their child required neonatal care and they were born quite early. And often, there's quite a lot of 28-weekers, actually. It seems I seem to attract them. And I Mm. go, well, mum, hi, I was was born at 28 weeks. And they go, oh, wow, that's that's good. Mm -hmm. And I've had parents ask, so will my child be able to live a life like yours? And I go, of course they can. Of course they can. We give them all the resources Mm -hmm. we can, give them all the support they need, and they can live a hugely fulfilling life.
1: Yeah, when I was first reading about um, your group, um, I had not, you know, immediately thought of how um, it would be received by parents, and I think it's so uh, notable that you guys are trying to reach, you know, tr- trying to to reach that um, population, you know, parents who have babies in the NICU who are just totally overwhelmed, and, and their question isn't about the medical care in the NICU, right? It's about what will life look like for, for my, my baby, uh, my child, you know, what will they be able to grow and do? And the providers in the, in the unit almost always say, oh, we have, we have this spectrum of this is, you know, we see these outcomes based on these comorbidities and these, um, you know, uh, other things that happen in the NICU, but for them to be able to see, you know, or hear about real life people, um, I, I think is um, a, a really a tremendous facet of, of the work that, that you guys are, are doing. And um, how have parents been reaching out? How Have they been involved? How is that going? I think at the moment, we're
2: still in the very early stages. Um, we have a Twitter presence, an Instagram presence, the website presence and a couple of Facebook groups. Um, we need to grow so that we can reach those parents and actually offer them what you're saying, what they what they feel they need, those questions that they want to ask us. We're ready. We would love to expand as much as we can throughout the globe so that we can reach those parents that want to interact with us. Um, we need We need everyone's help though. <laughs> We need comments, likes, shares, Mm -hmm. interaction. We want to have everyone involved that wants to be involved as an adult prem. We want parents involved, professionals, researchers. We need more, more, we need a further reach so that we can be there for those parents who want to ask us questions.
1: That's
0: great. I wanted to ask you a more, uh, relaxed question I, I mean as, as you know obviously we use a lot of caffeine in the NICU what's your relationship with coffee as an adult preemie
2: I have to say I, I do not drink coffee at all <laughs> um, I made the decision when I came I know I'm probably I am I feel I know that I am not the usual representation uh, friends that I have who are adult prems um, still use caffeine um, mostly drunken coffee um, I have to say I made the decision when I started <laughs> university that I would avoid coffee at all costs. Otherwise, I knew it would be my lifeline. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm a little bit atypical uh-huh. there. <laughs>
0: Do, are you a tea drinker? Is that is that a Brit thing?
2: Um, sadly, yes. Hello, cup of tea.
1: Yeah, cup of char. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's cool.
1: I, I, love, I love that.
0: I wanted to circle back to the first, the first part of the, uh, the first part of the, the first answer you gave us when you said that the whole um, endeavor for adultpremies.com started with you being involved in a research project a few years back. I'm wondering how, how does it look like? for you to get involved in a research project? Is this something that you, that you seeked out or is it something where people reached out to you? And, and, and how did this, I'm, I'm curious as to how did this unfold? How did it make you feel to subject yourself to a research study and, and things like
2: that? So this research project, remember, it was quite a few years ago. And I think it required a little bit of Googling on my part when I was just on a whim thinking mm, maturity. Uh, adult uh, England London Cambridge you know seeing what was available Um, and this was a project that was looking at core outcomes in neonatal research so I was a participant in um, roundtable discussions um, and final kind of decision groups as well and this was all pre the dreaded dreaded COVID so I was able to see people face to face and travel to London Mm -hmm. and this I felt included, I felt involved, and like I said, met other individuals and went, ooh, other adult premies exist. Ooh, ooh, exciting. And I felt, you know, respected by the researchers. They showed that they valued our opinions as a separate group, Mm -hmm. separately to neonatologists, separate to parents, separate to other researchers. We were our own people and they wanted our opinions. And that's something I... And wanting to do as much as possible and um, there's a research project currently in England that I'm one year too young for <laughs> but i have in communication and have met the researcher and are keeping channels open and there are research projects that we're trying to um, promote through our Facebook pages that are based in different parts of the world that are open for you know individuals in the US, individuals in the UK and trying to boost up preemie representation within within those research projects that i i love a bit of research i like reading a paper as well
0: but but so that's interesting because you 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 seeked out opportunities to connect with um with other adult premies, and i guess this is where this is where your website becomes a, an interesting tool because i think hearing your story it seems that the research environment was probably one of the only avenues for you to connect with other, with other form, adult preterms. Is that right?
2: Yes. So meeting these people face to face, I don't know how I would have kind of found them or reached out without the opportunity that was afforded to me through this research project and just being prompted in the same room and being told, ah, well, this person and this person were preemie too. And I go, oh, oh, oh hi. <laughs> and being quite in, in awe. And it then led on, one of the gentlemen ran the um, the, the version of the Adult Premie Facebook, which is open for those individuals who were born prematurely, for us to create a space to discuss our stories, to discuss what's going on in our lives, discuss our progress, our achievements and our difficulties. And from then that has then grown into the Adult Premie Advocacy Network, which is that bigger group for Almost everyone and anyone who feels they want to support and be involved.
0: And is it like high school? There's cliques of preterms, the 24 weekers and the 28 <laughs> weekers, and you don't hang out at the same table.
1: Oh, I can't tell all our secrets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: Well, I, I'm sure there are um, different groups with different kind of uh, lived experiences based on their on their prematurity. So uh, I'm I'm interested right how people how how that plays out right if they feel like you know they're they're more premature or they've been more impacted by their prematurity I wonder if that comes up in the in the group chatter
2: I'd have to say I've seen no hierarchy maybe that's how we describe it mm-hmm. there you know you could look at someone who says oh well I'm a 24 week when you go oh wow well you win but in a, you know, in a joky way, you know, being born, you know, within those premature boundaries before your 37 weeks, we welcome anyone. And we have realised that we can see, you know, statistically, those individuals who were born the most premature are likely to have maybe more significant or more health issues and difficulties than those at the later mm-hmm. end of the preterm spectrum. However, we a bond over the fact that we're born prematurely. And we do discuss our gestations and we discuss the difficulties we have and some are at more risk of certain difficulties than others. But we always try and support each other. And it, you'll always have something common in common with someone. You know, we're sharing about issues with vision or issues with learning. Um, we share about um, fatigue. We share about learning more about our stories or if someone doesn't have any photographs, we try and be supportive around them even if we have, you know, some people have videos at their time in NICU potentially. So we don't, haven't yeah, created this true. natural hierarchy. It hasn't, it hasn't initiated itself.
1: We are, we've grown into this really supportive group. That's tremendous. And and we know that even the late preterm, you know, not, not that premature, um, that, you know, their outcomes are different than, than full-term babies. So I, I really think that's um, really amazing that you guys have been able to do that. And, you know, the research uh, done, like you said, has not been extensive on uh, adults uh, born born preterm. But interestingly, I hope you guys know that, it, I mean, it really has impacted the practice of neonatology. Um, I think when the first quality of life papers came out where they were asking adults preterm to rate their what they what they thought about their quality of life compared to what their parents thought their quality of life is compared to what providers, um, medical providers thought. And um, adult preemies really valued their, their quality of, of life. Um, and I think it changed our perspective on a lot of things. And I think that there's still um, work to be done uh, in that area. What are kind of your goals? You know, if you could... Uh, the, one, the, the things you want to study most, I guess, if you got to pick, um, what would that look like?
2: At the moment, one of the big themes that we're seeing and we're exploring is follow-up care. It's, it's a <laughs> massive gap. It's a, it's a black hole of a gap. And that's something, as an adult premier community, is a hot topic. Looking at our health and our outcomes now, lots of us are kind of twenty in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and looking at our health and our education and our development and going, ah, well, I found that tricky, and I, you know, I suffer from this set of symptoms and this condition. No one's ever acknowledged my preterm birth. You know, we often mention it to our general practitioners or primary care providers, and they go, oh, well, you look okay, or you look like you've developed, well, you look like you've recovered well, and inside we're squirming because we are proud of how far we've come and how much we've achieved and we survived our premature birth and we're alive and we're adults who are in the world and contributing to the world but we do find you know individuals will find things harder and will question their health outcomes and think ah is this linked to that could that be due to my premature birth or a consequence of something that happened during my neonatal period so our our key hot topic at the moment is that longer term view of health and that follow-up care that at the moment doesn't exist. However,
0: does that, make, does that make you anxious, Juliet? I'm, I'm curious about that. I mean, you are, as a, as a member of the adult preterm community, you're at, on the frontier of medicine. I mean, a little bit like uh, children who are born with congenital heart disease who underwent some repairs in the 1990s and who are now the only survivors of these new technologies. Does that create any anxiety in you, not really having anybody else sort of before you who has paved the way to sort of know what what the path looks like in being an adult preemie?
2: Having a gap in knowledge can always cause anxiety for individuals, parents, for healthcare providers. And I think we're turning that anxiety in those questions and we're slowly turning the cogs to get the answers so we can relay those fears and we can find reassurance or we can go through discussions with healthcare professionals, investigations for reassurance or investigations to prevent any deterioration or to promote the healthiest lifestyle so that we're protecting our health for the years to come. And linking those dots between research that has been done On the outcomes, long-term, longer-term outcomes of prematurity, the longer-term outcomes for the heart, the lung, the brain, the skin, the digestion, any system you can pick, and Mm -hmm. creating, you know, making a bridge between the gap of we are the individuals that want to learn more about these risks, but we need the involvement of researchers and healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. to bridge that gap.
0: And how do you feel that the community of adult preterm helps you manage this anxiety, knowing that you have a crowd with you who's walking this path? Maybe if they haven't been so far up ahead the road, maybe at least they're walking alongside with you. Does that, does that provide, I mean, I feel like this is an amazing, an amazing aspect of, of your foundation, of your blog, of your Facebook group. But I'm wondering how you feel about that personally.
2: I feel Ben, how you've put it already is perfect. We know that we have people beside us and our parents were there to be our voice and fight for us during our time in intensive care. Mm -hmm. And now it's our go. And we have, you know, Mm -hmm. support from our adult preemie community. And we're, you know, gathering momentum and support from the healthcare professionals that we can reach out to, mostly through social media at the moment, and having them walk beside us as well, and just getting the ball rolling so it can keep rolling, keep rolling to reach the right people and get larger and broader and spread as far as we can so that we know we're doing what we can to promote for ourselves, to promote for our health and our well-being.
1: Yeah, I was thinking, you know, we knew um, our audience would be interested, right? Uh, Neonatologists and people who work in the, you know, around the NICU. Um, But what we really need are advocates in the adult medicine community because like you said I imagine I can't recall anybody ever asking what my birth history was as a, as an adult and um, I think that we're gonna continue to find through the work that you guys are doing and, and through other um, studies that uh, you know our health outcomes, um, are affected by prematurity. We know, you know, about heart disease and uh, metabolic syndrome um, in in adults born preterm, but that's really just the tip of the iceberg. And so even that just, just being asked, I think, the question about the birth history and um, showing that people understand that prematurity is in and of itself a risk factor for adult disease, I, I think would be Um, a huge hurdle to overcome
2: you're absolutely right that is the first step we were having a discussion within the advocacy network group about what's going to be achievable and we feel that improving the knowledge and awareness of those people that as adult as relatively healthy adults we will actually encounter are usually our primary care practitioners our gps and giving Mm -hmm. them education on yes we ask about birth history now that's the rule now and also teaching them about Mm -hmm. what the consequence of asking these questions are and the consequence for that individual's health or the monitoring that's required to ensure they're healthy and ensure they're receiving you know the best lifestyle advice and the you know the optimum care for them even if they walk down the street and will look like a healthy fully grown adult Mm -hmm.
0: I, I I always tell parents that what fascinates me about preterm babies in the NICU is their resilience. Um, I'm always amazed by how much these children can go through and come out on the other end so strong and, and again, so resilient throughout. And I'm wondering if you, if I, this is completely not medical, by the way, I have this personal feeling that this is an intrinsic
1: mm-hmm.
0: component of these children's nature. That they are extremely resilient and I am wondering if this resilience has shown up in your life and if you could give us some some examples within your within your life of how your resilience as an adult has helped you uh, overcome any any obstacle
2: Then you've hit the nail on the head that's that's really the word that I would use for all of my friends within the adult premier community that I have the pleasure of knowing that they're resilient and their parents were. But we also are, and we developed that from our time in NICU. And, you know, some of us will have developed more patience as well and more respect for those who are different from us because we have this innate resilience. During my life, I have had challenges. As I've already mentioned, my twin sister passed away. She was very sick when we were born um, and did very well to live until we were 12 years old and then sadly died quite unexpectedly. And it was extremely traumatic for me. This was a very tough time in my life. And it affected my mental health quite significantly. To get through that, to have woken up the day after and gone, oh, I'm still alive. I didn't disappear. Oh, okay. now I have to carry on. I still exist. So therefore, I have to keep going and carry the, the trauma with me. And I've been able to get to a stage where, I still have that that feeling of grief and I still carry her with me. But I'm going to use that determination to make changes for myself and the people around me to to help them. And at the moment this is coming out with the Adult Premier Advocacy Network. This determination that is inbuilt into me has been, you know, is spurred on, you know, year by year to promote for my own health and for those around me who may not be able to do it for themselves. My twin suffered from a lot of disabilities and needed care around her at all times. And that passion drew me into nursing and is now carrying on this determination with promoting for these adult premies that are around me.
1: Have you been able to interact with other surviving twins? You know, it's a it's a population, a subset of the NICU population that I I think, like you said, carries its own. Burdens uh, certainly for you to lose a sibling at the age of twelve is 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 very difficult. Uh, I wonder even of surviving twins who didn't get to know really didn't have a childhood with their with their twin. Um, how that's come across in the network?
2: So we are most within the network. I have mostly interacted with those who were singletons. Um, but there are individuals who, in the most part, lost their twins very early on. Part of that was their journey kind of with a very premature birth or um, illness during their time in the neonatal intensive care unit. So, so far in my journey, I have had interactions mostly with individuals who are part of groups for those who are born, um, who are uh, lone twins. So who have lost their twin. But you can kind of go through and weed out there's, there's a subset within that subset who were born prematurely as well. And I have promoted my prematurity groups to them as well and invited them to join and interact as much or as little as they wish to. But the Lone Twin community, there's the Lone Twin Network in the UK, but it's open to mm-hmm. others around kind of Europe and you know, anyone who wants to interact, who do meet in person um, when we're allowed and the Twinless Twin international group that's based mostly in the US, but again, welcomes everyone from around the globe. And this is a very, very precious and very special group to me that allows me Mm -hmm. to openly talk about my grief in a way that you can't talk to anyone else about. You can say something and they go, aha, I understand. And it can be something silly. It can be something really deep and meaningful, but you have that acceptance. And that's, we've found this in the premier group that, we will start rabbiting on and sharing our birth story and talking about, oh, you know, I've got this mark from this cannula or long line and, oh, I had to have this surgery and I've got this scar here and comparing scars, which you don't, don't really
1: do in the normal world, but within the Premier group, we can definitely <laughs> talk about scars. with <laughs> that. Well, thank you for highlighting those groups. I think um, it was nice to hear about some of some of the other thing, you know, the other groups that, uh, you know, are, you know, work in conjunction with with your group. And you mentioned another group um, of, uh, I guess, premium adjacent people, and um, that's your parents. Um, and have you guys been interested in studying them. You know, the community is interested, newly, thankfully, interested in outcomes of parents of NICU infants, but it's really short-term, right? It focuses on, you know, short-term mental health. And we reviewed some papers in the last um, month about longer-term outcomes, but it's not really that long-term compared to your groups of, of parents.
0: We feel so small. <laughs> In our follow-up to 18 months when okay. we're when we have the ability to speak to you, Juliet.
2: Okay. Yes, we shall uh, change that over at some point to eighteen years. How about that? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. at minimum, would... right. At a
2: minimum, yeah, right? Agreed. 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 I want to welcome every and any parent into our advocacy group so that we can help them with our platform and launch them into research and into collaborations that they want to get involved with. I think we have to start with smaller steps. So as an as a group of adult premies, we've got to start with the research that we want to be involved with and the research that's going to impact our care and our health. Mm-hmm. But I want to be there to advocate for anyone involved in this journey, any researcher, doctor, any parent, and help them springboard from us so that they can do what we're doing and you know start rolling the ball to promote these issues that they're experiencing in the longer term, the shorter term, um, and help them promote the issues that they're facing.
1: Very
0: cool. I I have a question since we're talking about follow-up. I've had the chance to work in in a follow-up clinic with, uh, with my mentor here in Miami, Dr. Bauer. And I have been witnessing, sadly enough, a lot of fragile infant syndrome, where parents have gone through such a traumatic experience in the NICU that they're so protective of their child, almost sometimes to their detriment, by not triggering uh, language development, motor development, and and it's 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 one of the most ironic things to see because this this is the most attentioned. Uh, the, the most passionate parents, the most dedicated parents, and yet it may have a detrimental effect on the child. I am wondering if you could speak to that as a, as a former preterm infant, growing up in your early sort of toddler years, um, how was your experience? I mean, I understand obviously that you had a, a twin at that time that was alive. I'm not sure if that impacted also growing up um, at, around those years. And if you had any advice for parents who have preterm babies and, and how to foster their their growth and uh, optimal development.
2: I'll start by sharing a phrase that we have in the UK, which is to be wrapped in bubble wrap. It's where an individual (laughs) or a child is protected encased so much so that, you know, they're completely wrapped head to toe, you know, can't move their arms, can't move their legs, you know, seeing through little bubbles of bubble wrap. And I can fully understand seeing what I've seen as a student to see what those parents See within the NICU and their early journey of some individuals who are extremely unwell, or if they've lost a child before, they can be fearful and want to protect that child at all costs. And there are some situations where us ex PREMs, particularly in our infancy, we acknowledge that we're at high risk of chest infections, we acknowledge we need um, ophthalmology screening, we acknowledge we need neuroassessments because of our risk factors. But parents have already seen how resilient. As this word "resilient" keeps coming, we've seen how resilient their infants are in the neonatal unit, and they will continue to be resilient. And parents parents will do what they what their instincts tell them. And we have to be ready to promote and advocate for the child. That yes, they need to be kept safe. They need to have, um, you know, be kept away from people with. You know, coughs and colds and to make sure they don't fall down the stairs as you would with any child but be mindful that they're very resilient and they need all these opportunities to play to learn to you know have a little trip and fall to get a stuffy nose but be kept a closer eye on because there is a risk of smaller airways and uh also a high risk of having maybe more serious um chest infections for example but allowing them to go through these ages and stages and learn learn by doing and that's something my parents we had the the myself and my twin is my reflection who was very unwell and fully disabled so my parents would see me grow and develop trip and fall have a snotty nose and for my twin she would she would struggle and a snotty nose would turn into pneumonia for her so she was at the a very extreme end of the spectrum for a, you know a, a preemie who whose premature journey has impacted their life really severely. So my parents, there's a lot of focus for my twin to enrich her life, knowing that it would be shorter and to give us all opportunities. And I'm very grateful my parents gave us a very good upbringing and helped me to foster this interest in health and education. They would answer my questions about my twin and about myself very openly and very honestly which I thank them for greatly. Mm-hmm. But I do know, you know, other Premies may speak differently. They may have felt that they were more wrapped in bubble wrap and, you know, you know, they were covered in cotton wool and kept very, very safe. And that that may impact them and how they grow up and how they may view their own children as well.
1: Very interesting. I I really appreciate you sharing that um, piece um, of your childhood with us. I, I I think it's something that I can already start to change in my practice, and that is reminding parents of how resilient their babies are, even in the NICU. Uh, you know, we're always, we are frequently hesitant to give um Positive information, you know, thinking, oh, it's too positive, you know, maybe, you know, this this baby's still so at risk, still so sick, um, but I think that we can still balance our information with information that's hopeful, and um, potentially change some of that kind of um, risk for vulnerable child syndrome by by reminding parents that that their babies really are um, resilient. So I'm going to start doing that this week. <laughs> Thank you.
2: That
0: is. Fantastic. I I tend to ask parents. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joe. We couldn't. We couldn't hear you answer. I'm sorry.
2: Just saying, that's fantastic. This is, a, you know, this is a awesome. moment that our voice is being heard, and we're talking to the right people. This is amazing. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I always ask parents after they uh, on the day of discharge. I said, "Are you going to be?" Uh, willing to have another child after you've gone through this? And and I get a variety of answers. And I don't ask the question for any particular purpose. I just, I am curious to see because it reflects a little bit on how they perceive their experience in the NICU. I am wondering if being an adult preemie, if you've contemplated on your future and potentially parenthood, and does that provide, um, do you feel more prepared, more anxious? I'm just curious. And if you mean, and if you haven't thought about it, you, you can pass on that question, but I'm just wondering.
2: I have. So within the adult premie community, you know, I can't pinpoint a particular research paper, but we've kind of got this underlying understanding that as we are born premature ourselves, for a variety of reasons, we are more likely to have infants who are premature ourselves. And I think some links just aren't understood. Um, you know, we, we reflect that mothers who have had premature babies are more likely to have another premature baby. And that has moved down into our generation as the adult premies. And I think my experiences, my interests and my healthcare experience will mean Nikki won't scare me, but I might scare them because mm. I will ask so many questions <laughs> and I will be a mum who will very much struggle not to do my own baby's IV antibiotics, you know, that sort of thing. I will take it a step too far.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You'll be a, a mama bear, as we call them. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome.
0: Well, um we're we're getting we're getting to the to the end of the interview. I mean, this is this is just so fascinating. I think this is really um I am so thankful for social media and for being able to connect with you and discuss these things which I've never been able to discuss through my entire training and my short career as an attending. So I am very thankful. And I guess I want to invite everybody to really go follow you on on Twitter. There's other adult preterms who are out there. And I think we need to grow this community and f- not for the purpose of likes and for the purpose of followers, but mostly for the purpose of connecting clinicians, nurses, therapists with the true witnesses and testimonies of, of what this means, what we're doing in the NICU. And so I am very thankful. And uh, I guess what I want to say is that if you need this podcast will be open to your community for whatever their, their needs are. And I'm more than happy to, to give you airtime as much as you want to reach out to uh, the NICU community throughout the globe and in any way that we can help. So so thank you for that.
2: Thank you so much. You know, we never probably never thought we'd be thanking social media, but some of the individuals I've met and yourselves, <laughs> I may never have a chance to meet you face to face, but, you know, thank you to the magic of Twitter you know we're not paid promotion but if they want to pay us go for it but I thank you for (laughs) offering this platform it's a real honor that you're you know I commented on your Twitter post about one of your early podcasts saying would you like to speak to an adult who was born prematurely your response was so positive and so quick and we're gaining immediate I was like I am
0: not letting go of this opportunity
2: (laughs) (laughs) and it takes, you know, at the moment, we're still reaching out, but we're realising our, you know, people are reaching out to the the doctors, the parents, the researchers. They want to be involved, too. We just have to meet in the middle. And I'm so grateful that you yeah. offered this opportunity for me like as well.
1: Well, like you said, I, you know, you feel like you, you know, you need us, but we need, we need you guys just as much, if not more, um, to really challenge us, uh, about, you know, thinking ahead and anticipatory guidance and, um, you know, changing follow-up. I, I think you're right. I think that's where we have to start. Um, we have to start following up, um, and, and seeing where the, where the cards lie and what, what we can do to, to change outcomes.
0: And I'm going to say, I feel like I'm quoting this, this book by Daniel Kahneman on every episode. <laughs> um, but in thinking fast like and books. slow, <laughs> this this book is my Bible, but he talks about this cognitive bias of what you see is all there is. And we tend to, and I think for clinicians, having a discussion with, with Juliet and other people from the, the adult preemie world creates a balance because as neonatologists, we see babies, they go home or they don't go home, but they leave the hospital. And by staying in the hospital, all we see are babies who are coming back in precarious situations, and we tend to develop this bias of, ah, oh, what, what is this all for? What are we doing here? You know, all the babies that are, we're allowing to survive are coming back to the hospital anyway. But it's not true. It's not true because you are the example, Juliet. Of of no, there are babies who leave the NICU and who thrive and lead successful lives. But because we do not see that, that's where this this what you see is all there is bias comes from, we lose that perception, and so I think this is why it is so important for us to to connect with adult preemies, just to to restore some faith and to reignite the spark in in what is happening in the NICU when sometimes it can be a little bit sort of crushing uh, when when the calls get tough. And I'm saying this post call, so <laughs> yeah,
1: he's had a tough week. He's had a tough week, and it's it's it reminds us, you know, what we're all working for. You know, every day in the hospital, every all the research right to to optimize those few months in the in the NICU uh, are really so that you know you can live years out out there in the world and and, and do amazing things so um, we're really grateful for your time and you sharing your story. I know that's not easy um and so we 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 appreciate you
0: I want to circle back to close the loop by discussing, again, this this research project you were involved in, 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 I think you said 2018, but was there anything that came out of it? I mean, what, did they ever publish their results? Could, could the listeners seek Absolutely. out that study?
2: Le- so the paper that I was involved with is Core Outcomes in Neonatology, Development of a Core Outcome Set for Neonatal Research and the Lead Research with James Webb, who I had the pleasure of meeting during the consensus meeting in London. And the, the, back, the results of this was they did a literature search and they involved um, stakeholders' discussions round tables and things. And they found core outcomes that they want to present as every neonatal, neonatal researcher needs to include in any research they do. And my involvement as an adult premier and the other two um, friends of mine involved, we brought in this perspective of oh well we care about quality of life we don't just care about being alive we are so grateful for that and that is our first goal in life is we survived and how phenomenal is that and how proud we are of that but also to make sure the discussion was had between the parents present the researchers the doctors present that further the later outcome not just did they breathe and did they you know, open their bowels and did they need caffeine? There was, we were instigating this conversation about um, mental health and longer term outcomes.
0: This is great. I think we should end on that. What do you think, Daphna?
1: Yeah, I agree. Just so people have a little bit more information if they don't get the chance to look it up. This was um, published in July, just of 2020, actually. Um, and the results uh, identified 104 outcomes um, and, you know, 12 outcomes were included in the final um, set uh, for clinical trials, survival, sepsis, uh, neck, brain injury on imaging, gross motor ability, cognitive ability, quality of life, adverse events, visual impairment, hearing impairment, uh, retinopathy, or prematurity and chronic lung disease or BPD. So. Um, that gives us all a list to work well, off of. Doesn't definitely going to
0: check this one out. Thank you guys so much, Juliet. Thank you again. This was this was tremendous. Um, I'm not sure who benefited more from this interview, you or us, but but this was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
2: This was fantastic. So thank much. you so much for inviting me and allowing me. This platform is such a pleasure to meet both of you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Incubator. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Instagram or Twitter at NICUPodcast. Personally, I am on Twitter at DrNICU, spelled D-R-N-I-C-U, and Daphna is at Dr. Daphna Md. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.